Brother Heberly, I was, um, I was quite, quite taken by that. I, I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I'd never heard anything quite that way before. And, you know, I just got to thinking, what would happen if our life was put on trial? Uh, you know, it's going to happen one day, isn't it? But that was a very confronting message. I'm still quite, um, just quite thinking about that in my own life. You know, it's, it's one thing that, that the people that were around see and observe in our life. But when it, when it comes right down to the end of it, we're going to stand before the Creator, as, as he mentioned. And uh, what he observes and his analysis is really the only one that matters. And it ought to be a sobering thought for all of us. And so that's what we needed, and that's what we got. And I sure do appreciate that. Well, it is good to be here tonight. Um, it's Friday night, so I have been given liberty uh, <clears throat> in... It's a blessing for a preacher to be given liberty. Uh, what I noticed is that the flags obscure the back of the auditorium, and so I, I don't know if there's a clock back there. And this little one that's been here for like 10 years doesn't work anymore. So this is good for me. Um, so it's going to be a good night. Amen. Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. As you're turning there, um, let me give you a thought or two here. I, I was at a, a church uh, recently. And in the auditorium of the church, there was a, a, a world map on the back. And it was just an enormous map. It covered a good portion of the back wall here, further than, than all of this here. And, and as it is, you know, Australia sort of finds its way to the, this part of the, of the world. Although I, I heard of a guy that went to a church the other day, and they got the maps all mixed up, and Australia was upside down and in the middle, and nobody knew it. But anyway, this particular... Map Australia was sort of right here, and and um, it wasn't quite time for the preaching yet, and I, so I had a few minutes before I had to preach, and so I was just back there. I was looking at the at the world, and, and I was looking at Australia, and there's just a few of the major cities, you know. Uh, Brisbane wasn't there; it was just really Sydney, and um, so I was I was looking at it, and matter of fact, Queensland was just erased. It was just New South Wales is what it was. But I was looking at the map, and I was I was looking at some of the cities, you know, and. Some of the places that, that I'd been or places maybe that I'd preached or places that the church had been. And I gazed at that for a while and just kind of tripped down memory lane. And then I looked beyond to maybe some of the islands and some of the places that we'd been maybe and done some ministry and you know, move out of the South Pacific and you move sort of down into New Zealand and you see some things there. And I was just sort of thinking about all that and then I got to thinking, you know, I took a step back and I just looked at the enormity of the map. And I just thought to myself, how do we do this? How in the world do we reach the world? It's one thing for us to read in the Gospels where Jesus takes these men up to the top of a mountain and gives them this commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. We, we've heard it our whole life if we've been raised in church. But have you ever wondered, how do we do this? Oh, surely there's more than just a, a once-a-year conference where a group of people get together on a Friday night and uh, we learn about things from the Word of God that we've heard already. Uh, we observe some things about some countries that maybe we didn't know and, and then we go about our year and, and 11 and a half months goes by before we do this again. But don't we think the question, Lord, how in the world are we supposed to reach the world? 
I spent some time uh, in recent days going through the New Testament, and I really just started in the book of Romans. Paul uh, started here, and uh, he wrote Romans, and as you know, he wrote a good portion of our New Testament, and uh, he wasn't the only one that wrote there, but God has just included Paul's writings as the majority of, uh, of the doctrine to, to the church. And so I thought, you know, if we're ever going to find a methodology, we're going to find it in what Paul wrote. Wouldn't you think that stands to reason? So I, I started to flip through the things that Paul wrote. And, you know, the more you're familiar with the Word of God and, and the more you've read into it over the years, then uh, I wasn't going to get down into the depth, uh, you know, into the weeds of it. I just was kind of skimming the chapters. I was, I was familiar with the chapters. And so I was, I was reading it like somebody reads their devotions. You know, I've, I've read 53 pages of my Bible today, that kind of thing. I was just sort of skimming through and, and um, I read through Romans and I went into Corinthians and read that. And I read all of the, the epistles to the churches and I thought, well, maybe I'm going to find what I'm after when I see what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was the preacher. So I thought, well, I'm going to find the answer there. But I read First and Second Timothy. What I was looking for wasn't there. I read into Titus. wasn't in Titus. In Philemon. wasn't in Philemon. I thought, well, I'll dive into Hebrews because, you know, it's just an interesting book anyway. And it's got to be in Hebrews. But I read all the way through the, old, the, the rest of the New Testament. wasn't there. What I was looking for was a method. I was looking for an answer. It's got to be in here, the how, to reach the world. Because we've been given a command to do it. So surely God's going to include the, the methodology. I got to looking at uh, the concept of missions in what Paul wrote to the churches. You know what you don't see anywhere in Paul's writings is the missionary method. It's not there. Now, I'm saying all that to ask you the question that I was asking myself. What is the intent of God in all of this? How are we supposed to do this? And so we're going to look in the book of Romans because God answers that for us in this book. Now, if you're familiar with, um, with what we call soul winning or, or, you know, just maybe handing out gospel literature and sharing the gospel with people, then you'll know that, that we have gospel tracts and and typically in our gospel tracts, we'll have verses from the book of Romans there. We'll have uh, chapter 3 of the book of Romans that tells us that the, that the world is sinners in need of a Savior. We'll, we'll have chapter 5 about how, how sin entered into the world and, and death came by sin. We'll look at chapter 6 about, you know, the wages of sin is death. We'll move through the, what we call the Romans road. And if you're familiar with, with sharing your faith with others, then you'll oftentimes see that in the book of Romans. And I fear that sometimes as believers, we sort of relegate Romans to the Romans road and figure that that's pretty much the reason Paul wrote it. But that's not just the reason Paul wrote it. There's so much more in these 16 chapters than just verses on salvation. So we're going to skim for just a little bit, and then we're going to get into it a little bit more deeply as we go on. So chapter 6, and then I'll, I'll tell you the, the title of the message after a while, okay? Chapter number 6. I want you to just notice what, um, what we see in chapter 6. Now really, my, my first thought here tonight is this. I'm going to talk to you about the truth of the new birth, okay? And so we're going to go through some things that you probably already know, but just bear with me for just a moment. The truth of what the new birth is all about. Now, if we get into chapter 6, and I, I skipped the first five chapters because really, in the first five chapters, Paul is laying a foundation for us about the need for Jesus Christ in the life of mankind. So what we find there is we find God uh, explaining to us that all men are sinners and uh, you can justify your sin any way you want, but... But sin is the common character trait of mankind. And that's really the first five chapters of the book of Romans. Uh, what God does is he strips away the excuses of man 
and he shows us that we are in need of a savior. And so he introduces to us now in chapter six, the new birth. As I look around the room, I know many of you and, and at times past, you've may, maybe shared your, your journey of faith, how you uh, came to understand the gospel and how you were born again. So for many of you, this will be a review, but maybe there's somebody here tonight and uh, you're a guest, a visitor of the church, and you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. This is for you. This is the reason Jesus came, all right? So in, in chapter number six, we see the truth of what the new birth is all about. And really what it is is this, that you and I are freed from the bondage of sin. Do you believe that tonight? We're freed from it. Now, let's look at a couple of verses very briefly. Look at verse number eight. It says this, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We are, we are dead with Christ. It's not a question, it's a statement. We are dead with Christ. Drop down to verse number 12. What we are is dead, to, dead with Christ, but I want you to notice verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. We're freed from the bondage of sin. What we are is, is dead with Christ, but what we allow in our life is important. Uh, you understand? Uh, we, are, we are free from sin, but we can allow sin into our life. So we're talking about what the new birth is all about. If you're saved here tonight, this is supposed to be you. You're supposed to understand this, that you are freed from sin, so don't allow it into your life. You don't have to. You're not shackled to it anymore. That's really chapter 6. If you're here tonight as a Christian and you're struggling with sin, then what you need to do is go back and reread chapter number 6 of the book of Romans because it helps you to understand that you are freed from the bondage to sin. Now, we move over to chapter 7. Don't you like preaching like this? You just move that quick through a whole chapter of the Bible. It's great. Chapter number 7 tells me about the two warring natures that I now have. Now that I'm a new believer in Christ, I have two natures. I've got the old me that I don't like very much. Let me rephrase that. I don't like him at all. There's nothing good in the old nature. But now I have a new nature. And uh, so chapter 7 of the book of Romans helps me to understand the warfare that takes place within me. If you're saved here tonight, then what you already know about your spiritual life is this, that you're fighting a battle every day and most of the battle you fight is against yourself because you have within you the old man who's trying to get up and out. He's trying to conquer you. Have you noticed that in your life? Hey, listen, if you profess the name of Christ tonight and you have not noticed the battle within... Uh, you need to question whether or not you really know Christ. Because a, a child of God will face a constant daily battle against the flesh, which seeks to override the Spirit of God. That's what's going to happen. You have an old nature, and you have a new nature. Really, what Paul does in chapter 7 is basically bring it down to this. There is within you the law of sin that's still there, but now you have the new law of God that has uh, taken residence inside of you, and these are the contrary to each other, all right? So that's chapter 7. Now we move into chapter 8, and this is such a great chapter because this really now helps me to understand how I can live a victorious Christian life. And that's really the crux of the matter. How can I live my life as a child of God in such a way as I'm living in victory for the Lord Jesus Christ? Should that not be our goal, brethren? That ought to be our heart's desire. That I wake up today and I choose to live in victory and chapter 8 tells me how to do that. Now, you know chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Uh, what he tells us in this chapter is this. It's, it's not that, um, that you're, you're always a conqueror and uh, there's never any condemnation in your life. That's not what it says. 
what it says is, depending on how you choose to walk in this life, if you walk after the flesh, you're going to pay a price for it. But if you choose to walk after the Spirit of God, then there's no condemnation. There's no price you're going to pay for it. There's going to be victory. So chapter 8 now tells me how that I can conquer and live a victorious Christian life. Okay, I'm just going to raise my hand. That's what I want in life. Now, I don't always get it. But when I don't get it, it's because I made the choice not to get it. You follow? I have chosen not to live a victorious Christian life. So chapter 6, 7, and 8 now tell me the truth of the new birth. And really, these truths in these chapters, what they do is they reclaim the backsliding Christian. And as we talked about last night in the message um, out of the book of 2 Peter, uh, we are now adjusting our lives and we're beginning to focus on what matters to God. So what I've done now is in these first few chapters of, of the book of Romans, I've tried to lay the foundation that I laid last night and just help all of us to understand this, that let's presume now that we have understood what the new birth is all about and we have understood the battle that rages within us and we now understand as children of God tonight that we can live a victorious Christian life through the power of the Spirit of God within us. Okay, let's just make that assumption. So starting from that point, I want to draw your attention. I don't want you to turn here yet, but there is a verse uh, in the book of Romans that all of us here, if we've been saved a while, we, we know this verse. It's chapter 12. Don't turn there. It's chapter 12 where Paul says, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you know this verse? That ye present your bodies. Tell me what it says. Okay, we know the verse. Now, what we do is oftentimes in church, we'll hear, the, we'll hear that verse preached. And we'll sit and we'll listen to this, and it'll be preached in the context of a yielded life, um, you know, a surrendered life, and, and, well, that's what it's supposed to be preached that way. And it's not wrong to be preached that way. But there is an intent behind which... God gave us that verse. It's not a random verse that he just sort of plugged in toward the end of the book of Romans. This is a book, as we talked about last night in the book of 2 Peter, this is a book of the Bible that was given to us to make sense. There's a thread all the way through it. And so what I want to do tonight is help you to understand about how to make sense of a surrendered life. What does it mean? And in the context of reaching the world, what does that mean? Because it's, it's practical and it really does make sense. So the foundation is this. The foundation is we understand the new birth. I'm freed from the bondage of sin. If you're saved tonight, that's you. Uh, we understand that because of that, that I have within me two warring natures, the old man and the new man. And they're always going to have a fight. But I also understand that if I yield myself to God and walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And chapter 8 tells me I can live a victorious Christian life. So now I'm going to launch from that and say, okay, now how does that, how does that work? from the standpoint of missions. So Paul has laid that foundation in chapter number 8, but I want you to notice now in verse, uh, verse or sorry, chapter number 9, and I want you to talk, uh, to, to notice with me as Paul talks about the burden of the new man. It's not just the, the truth of the new birth, but now he begins to talk about the burden of the new man. If you're here tonight as a, as a child of God, then you are the new man, the new creature in Christ. And what that means now is that there ought to be something different about who you are because you're saved. Not just because you're saved, but because now you're walking in victory in your Christian life, okay? So here's what he says in chapter 9 and verse number 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, 
that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. I wonder, have you read those verses before and thought about what Paul says? Paul now begins to express to us the burden of the new man. And he's saying now, because, because I understand who I am in Christ and I understand what victory is like and I'm walking daily in, in victory in my spiritual life, he says, there is a, an accompanying burden in my heart with walking right. If you and I are going to walk right before God, that will be accompanied with a burden, but not just a burden, not any old burden. We all carry burdens. This is a salvation burden. This is a, a heaviness in the heart due to the lost condition of the world around. And Paul says in verse number two that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I wonder tonight, is our heart heavy for our nation? Is your heart heavy for Australia? What a vivid thing we've seen tonight in that sheet of paper. I need to go and I need to spend some time just really looking at all the detail in that. Uh, you, you look at that and you see in a snapshot the condition of this country spiritually. Hey, Christian, let me ask you a question. Is your heart heavy for the nation? Uh, do you have a continual sorrow in your heart? When, when have we cared enough that our heart has had such a great heaviness for this country. You know, we love our country. We love to holiday around our country and take advantage of its beauty. Uh, we appreciate the benefits of its prosperity. We do. We love all the benefits of living in this land. But can I ask you, are we burdened for its people? The land really doesn't matter. It makes very little difference to anything. But the people that are here are what matters. Uh, Christ came to die for sinners, not for trees and sunshine and oceans. He's looking at the lost. Do you have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in your heart for your countrymen? Oh, they're not your kinsmen according to the flesh. Yeah, most of us are imports. But that doesn't matter. You live here. You've been placed here. They're your countrymen. Is there a heaviness you see, that's the burden of the new man. Oh, you might say, well, how do I really know that I'm burdened for my, my country and the condition of my country? I, I would ask this question, how do you look at people? You, as an individual, how do you look at people? You're around them every day. You're on the train and, you know, you're stuck in traffic and you're in the shops and you're in school with them. How do you look at them? Are they just, are they annoyances? Or is that how we view people in our country today? Are they, are they commodities to you? Is that what people are? Or do you see past the skin and the personalities and you see the soul? There's this interesting story about how Jesus took that blind man and he led him out and he made some mud and put it on his eyes. And he said to the man, well, can you see anything? Well, what did the man say? He said, well, he said, I see men as trees walking. I understand that trees are, are vertical, and so I can see the image of the man, and 
I can see that he's vertical, but I can see that he's walking. Jesus said, no, it's not good enough. So what did he do? He spit in his eyes. I'm not sure I understand why. But he said, now how do you see men? Oh, well, I see them clearly. I think a lot of times we're like that blind man who's half healed. And we go around our nation and we see men as trees walking. We, we just see the form and the outline. We see the movement, but we don't see them clearly. And the burden of the lost man, sorry, the burden of the saved man is to see the lost condition. It's a salvation burden. When I'm living right and I'm living in victory and I'm walking according to the truth of the Word of God, then I'm going to see men clearly the way that Jesus sees. And I'm going to see the lost condition of the people uh, with which I associate every day. We've, we've got to get it out of our minds that being a witness for Jesus Christ is like a, a line item on the Christian list. Well, I've, I've, uh, I've gone out for two hours on this day. I'm checking that off. I've done that line item for the week. It's like I've done my grocery shopping, I've done my laundry, I've done my soul winning, that's it. We've got to get out of the mindset that that's what witnessing is all about. It is not a line item in the Christian life. You understand? And that's oftentimes the problem with believers. We've got to view the world the way that Jesus Christ views the world. I wonder what kind of a burden that you have, that I have, for those around me every day. It really just comes from seeing the world the way that Jesus sees it, and it compels us to tell people. And so chapter 9, that's really what Paul's talking about here. I have this continual sorrow, this great heaviness in my heart, but I want you to notice chapter 10, because now he talks something a little bit more deeply. So he says in chapter 10 and verse number 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Hey, listen, now it's gone beyond the burden. And now it's gone beyond, well, I observe that they're lost. But now he says, my heart's desire, and now it's my fervent prayer for my countrymen, is that they would be saved. It's gone beyond a salvation burden, and it's moved to a missions burden. Now I want to see something done about it. And it is my heart's desire that they would be saved. Hey, we look around the world, we see the map in the back, we see the missionaries that we support, and I want to ask you the question, is it just something that you do because you feel it's expected? When you write out the check and when you, when you send the money electronically and you say, okay, well, I've, I've given this much to world missions for the, for the year, is it just something that you do or is it your heart's desire and your prayer to God? Hey, listen, God, my heart and my prayer is for this country, for these people that you have burdened me for this particular group. And God, I just want to see them get saved. It is my strongest, fervent desire. I see you've gone beyond just a salvation burden and now there's something about missions here. Now there's something more that's come in. A missions burden. And that's chapter 10. It's the desire of his heart to see the salvation of the lost. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, I want you to notice the progression as we're going through. See, you understand the truth of the new birth. You're, you're two natures and living in victory in your spiritual life. And if you live in that victory, you begin to see the lost. Are you with me tonight? As you live in victory and you're walking correctly, we begin to see the lost the way we're supposed to. And it's a, it's a heaviness in our heart. And it begins to be a continual sorrow because we understand that they're lost. Uh, but that sorrow develops into a, a passionate prayer and a fervent desire that they would be saved. Paul says that's the progression of the Christian life. 
Listen, the normal Christian life is this. It's this. It was always meant to be this. That we would live victoriously and in such life, we would see the world the way that Jesus sees us. But not being content to just see it, but now we want to see something done about it. Oh, we desire that they would be saved. You're familiar with William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. It's seeing the world and then recognizing something needs to be done. Oh, they must be saved. They must be saved. It's got to move beyond an observation. There must be action. But how can they be saved? You're in chapter 10. Paul addresses that in verse number 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Uh, How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? We've got to turn it around to understand the the order of events. They they have to be sent so that they can preach the gospel. They have to preach the gospel in order for people to hear the gospel. They have to hear the gospel in order to believe the gospel. That's the order. They have to be sent so that people can believe. That's how God intended for it to work. We saw the, the video about the South Pacific Islands. And there was John Patton there, missionary to these islands just off of our shores. And here's what he said. He said, at the moment I put the bread and wine, or the grape juice, into those dark hands once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, he said, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. He went to a place where it was certain death and the power of the gospel converted the lost and those that once killed and ate their fellow human beings now born again partaking of the Lord's table in remembrance of his death for them. He said there's nothing greater. What a passion. You see it wasn't just a burden he had. There was action. I believe it's much easier for the church to give thousands and thousands of dollars to missions than to find one of their members who'll walk into the darkness of those nations for a decade. It's almost like we content ourselves to salve our conscience by putting money in an offering plate. And we say, well, I've done my duty and somebody else can go. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't put the money in the plate and I'm I'm not saying that everybody has to go, but you understand what I'm saying. You see, the Gospels of the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not merely historical writings. What they are is they're the expressions of a fervent faith and they were meant to introduce Christ to their region. That was the purpose of the Gospels. 
They were written to tell the story of the life of the Messiah so that those that read it would understand it and be born again. That was why the Gospels were written. And we see missions and the program of missions, and we think, well, listen, it's a program, but it's more than a program. It's more than a hyped-up week. It's the expression of the life of a church. And a church that doesn't have missions as its central focus and core has no life. Has no life. And there's more to missions than three days in a year. It's got to be who we are. So what Paul says then is this. He says, I want you to understand the truth of the new birth. You were lost, but now you're saved. And you're, you're freed from sin. And yes, there's a battle that rages within you, the old and the new. But if you walk in the Spirit, in the energy of the Spirit of God, you can have victory in your spiritual life. And when you're walking a victorious spiritual life every day, you begin to see people around you the way you never saw them before. Now they're not merely annoyances. And now they're not commodities. They're souls. And then there's a heaviness and a sorrow in your heart because now you see the lost the way that you ought to see them. And so Paul moves in and he starts talking about the fact that not only are you content to have a sorrow in your heart, now there's... It's beyond a burden and now there's action and your heart's desire and your prayer to God is that they would be saved. But now we have to understand something that is a little bit further. Look at chapter number 11. Chapter number 11 then is the purpose of the new life. Now it's the purpose of the new life. Oh, well, well what is chapter number 11? Uh, in this chapter, what we see then is God's plan. He says, I say then, Hath God cast away his people? He's talking about Israel. God forbid. And then Paul says, I'm an Israelite, and, and so God's not finished with his people. But as we go through all of chapter number 11, what we observe in this chapter then is the plan of God. And here it is. The plan of God is to bring the Jew and the Gentile together into one body. In other words, what do we know? For God so loved the world. He's interested in the Jew, and he's interested in the Gentile. He wants all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Hey, aren't you glad about that? God wants the world to be reached. The plan of God is not this specific group. It's not this elect or this particular called group. The plan of God encompasses the whole world. It's every man. It's every culture. It's every nation. It's every language. It's everybody. God is interested in everybody's salvation. Amen. And so chapter 11 says, let me tell you the plan. Here's the purpose of the new man. Here it is to understand God's plan for the world. You understand what we need to do then? If we realize that we have a burden for lost people and we want to see God do something and we're praying that they would be saved, we need to understand that the plan of God encompasses everywhere in the world. Uh, Pastor and I were talking today just about, just about missions and different things and you know, his heart is just so much about, uh, about Australia. And I fear that sometimes, this is kind of what he was saying, I fear that sometimes we, we have a vision outside the shores of our country and we miss the 24 and a half million people that we live among. Because missions many times to us is somewhere out there. And we don't think it's just right there. Three meters away from that wall. People living in that house. And the 150,000 people that drive by here every hour on this street. And all these suburbs that are popping up. And all these apartment buildings and units that are popping up everywhere around us. This is the mission field. God's plan is for everybody to be saved. We need to understand the plan of God. And when we understand the plan of God, then chapter 12 is where I want you to look. Because here's the crux of the, of the matter tonight. 
This is a continuation of the thought. It's all been one train of thought. You're no longer bound to sin, brethren. And yes, you're going to have a battle with sin, but understand, you need to walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. You'll have victory in your life. And when that happens, you're going to see people the way you ought to see them. And it's going to go beyond just a burden in your heart. It's going to be a passion and a prayer that God would save them from their sin. And God says, let me just tell you about my plan. It's the whole world. And we say, how do we do this thing? We're back to where we started. I look at the map and say, how do we reach the world? It's too big. Here's the plan of God for us. Chapter 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, I look in the book of Romans. I don't see that it's written to preachers. It's not, I don't see that this is addressed to a missionary. Hey, my dear brethren here tonight, it's written to us. You, it's written to me. So God is saying to us individually, as individual believers, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you to consider this. Because God is merciful to you by the mercies of God that you would just present your bodies a living sacrifice. And, and I want it to be holy because that's acceptable unto God. And he says, by the way, it's your reasonable service. I'm not asking you to do anything that is not reasonable. I'm just simply saying if you'll live a holy life, surrendered and yielded to God, and you will lay yourself up on the altar every day that you wake up and say, God, I don't belong to myself. I give myself to you today. Then he says in the very next verse, and be not conformed to this world. I don't want you to look and act and think and be like the world around you. You're called out of the world. Uh, you've gone from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. There ought to be something different about your life, so don't act like the world. Live in contradiction to the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Hey, that's changed. That's altered. That's different. How do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? The Word of God. That you may prove that you would demonstrate by your life what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we reach the world? Every single one of us, every single one that's saved, waking up tomorrow morning saying, God, you got me today. Today you have me. Uh, these don't belong to me, God. They belong to you. Uh, these, for all the bad that I could do, I give them to you, God. This, which is a world of iniquity in my mouth, and it's set on fire of hell, God, you take this, and you sanctify this, and you use this for you today. Uh, these, oh no, I won't be listening to what doesn't glorify you. Hey, these, oh, I won't be looking at what doesn't glorify you. Uh, this mind I bring into captivity under the obedience of Christ, and today I will shine the way that you intended for me to shine. And brethren, do you not think that if every Christian in this world lived that kind of life every day that we couldn't reach the world? Do we think really that we couldn't reach the world? That was the intended Christian life. That's how we make sense of this verse. Making sense of the surrendered life is really this. What are we doing with our life? You know the reason why people that live next to us don't hear the gospel? Because we're not telling them. 
It's as convicting to me as it might be to some of you. I haven't always shared my faith with my neighbors. Shame on me. You know why the people we work with don't hear the gospel? It's because we're too afraid to tell them. Well, I might get fired. I might get reprimanded. Hey, listen, they might die and go to hell. Could we not ask for the Lord to give us the wisdom and the prudence to share the gospel with people that we see every single day? And we travel on holiday and we go around this country and we go overseas and we do different things. Are we shining as we ought to shine everywhere we go? Brethren, you understand how it is that we crisscross this, this globe? There's like six degrees of separation. We just touch people all the time and we know people all the time. That's how the gospel spreads. It's us who need to give the Lord the opportunity to use a yielded life so that people can be born again. You know, for some tonight, this is really just a yielding of your daily life to be a faithful witness where you are. I don't, I don't know what your life is like. I, I know mine, but I don't know yours. So I would ask you tonight, are you yielding your life faithfully to the Lord every day? It, it takes some determination on our part. That's why I think Paul said, I, I, I beg you. I beg you to understand this. This is not a 21st century problem. It's not isolated to our century. Paul was dealing with this in the first century. And it was a reminder to those believers back then and 21 centuries later to us to yield our life. And maybe for some tonight, it's simply just a yielding of your daily life. But maybe, maybe there's somebody here tonight and hear me tonight. God is calling you out of your life God is calling you to die to self and your ambition to lay aside your goals and your dreams and your desires for a comfortable life. And there may be somebody here tonight and God is calling you to follow him into the harvest fields of the world. And this surrender is for you the call of God to the gospel ministry. Pastor and I were talking today about some of the things that people have said before. There was one who said that the, the success of a church is not measured in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. I don't really believe that God cares two bits about how big the church is. I think he cares about men that will go when they're called. I was talking with a pastor just the other day here uh, over in the other part of Sydney and we were just talking about the, the need for missions in this country. And I said, Pastor, you know, as, as I look around the, the churches of Australia, we say, well, the average independent Baptist church is 30 or 40 people. And sometimes we lament that as if, oh, you know, we're just, we're losing ground. Here's what I see. I see able-bodied young men in every church. You can't tell me, and I don't believe, that we do not have the manpower to reach our country what we have is a surrender problem. I don't believe that God just sort of skips over Australia and calls men from every other nation in the world and for some reason we're exempt from the call of God. I think there are men here who are not listening because their ambitions and their goals are to make money and live in the lap of luxury and, and that's their passion and that's their goal and that's their focus 
and God is knocking, and God is calling, and God is saying, hey, listen, I have a job for you to do. And God doesn't do that to every man, but he does that to some men. I don't believe it's a lack of workforce. I believe it's a lack of surrender. And so maybe there's somebody here tonight, and only God can call you. But I want to stir your heart and ask you to consider that maybe that thing that's been going on in your heart is God trying to get your attention about his calling in your life. I want to talk to you about making sense of a surrendered life. I think we can reach the world if we'll just obey what God said here to reach the world. May God help us to do that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you tonight. Lord, as your children, we just humbly want to ask that you would reveal to each one of us individually the thing that we need to know. Uh, There may be some here tonight and they're still struggling with, uh, with trying to walk in victory. They don't really know practically what it is to be victorious in their life and maybe that's just where they're at and I pray that you'd help them to understand the truth of it, to understand really the simplicity of what that means and God, maybe you give them a measure of victory. But then, Father, there'd be some here tonight and maybe they're just starting to see people the way that you see them. God, help us to see the world. Help us to be aware of the people that we walk among every day. Lord, I pray that this church would be stirred to have a missions burden the way they never have before. That we would not be content as people to just walk in victory. That we would not be content as people to just observe the lost around us. But God, that we would passionately pray. We would earnestly desire. We would diligently sacrifice to get the gospel to the places that it needs to go. Oh God, please do a work in us. Lord, we know it's going to come because we live a surrendered life. That we just wake up every day and die to self and give ourselves to you. That is... What your desire for us is, that is your God. I believe what many people here tonight, their their desire is toward you. So help us to do it, God. With our heads bowed tonight, brethren, I just want to ask you to respond to this. As God would have you to respond, I'm going to give you that opportunity. So would you stand for just a moment, please? If we could just be upstanding together. With our heads bowed for just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity that you could respond in prayer to the leadership of the Spirit of God. Whatever it is that God has spoken to your heart about tonight, would you please just allow him to do his work in you and commit that to a place of prayer here tonight? Are you in a place where you just need to see God do some work in your life? Maybe it's time for you to walk in some victory. Maybe you need to just come and say, God, I'm I'm tired of fighting all of this. I just need to yield to your spirit. If that's you, would you just come? Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, I I understand that I need to lead a yielded life for Jesus Christ. Could I ask you to just come and say, Lord, I'm going to commit that to you. I'm going to commit and yield my life to you, surrendering to you. Whatever your intent is in my life, I give it to you, Lord.